Welcome to the Gregarious Mammal Podcast. This is Chris speaking, welcoming you to this episode where we start the first few interviews we recorded in our trip to Vilnius and Lithuania. And thanks very much to Telesoftus for organizing and sponsoring that trip for us. And in this episode, we first speak to Monica of Bit and Bite, which is a school programming uh, class and is a very interesting person to speak to. And then in the second half, we speak to Paulius of Infobelt, who are a trade association for tech companies in Lithuania. So two very different uh, talks covering two different aspects of technology in Lithuania. So I'm Monica Kutkute and I run a Creative Technology Academy for kids 7 to 12. I run out of a passion to create world-changing money-making startups mm -hmm. and uh, came back to the roots of myself wanting to make impact uh, when living in a small country and also living globally with my mind and the tools I have. So I've started... Um, from education, which I uh, experienced personally as a painful process, and school was boring to me. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I thought, you know, education and what can I add to my education? What experience of my previous uh, jobs and um, insights can bring to the twenty first century education and um, technology? Technological literacy mm -hmm. and understanding how tech products are made, where they're coming from, what, who are they serving, where are they heading. Thought was the thought that I thought it's both important to Lithuania as a economy mm -hmm. because we're too small to sell cheap workforce, so we need to sell mind. Mm -hmm. To sell mind, we need to start with the kids to understand their potential of their minds. And technology is one of the best tools to navigate mm -hmm. and still have the ability to be creative and play around and be a world citizen and still being local. And kind of connecting these thoughts and also trying to make a new language for people of 21st century to communicate. Mm -hmm. So there's, it's not English, it's not Lithuanian. It's the work language is kind of the future language. So I started with the Saturday Club for Kids. Okay. okay. Yeah. Um, so do you want to maybe walk us through a bit of the curriculum and what you cover in the courses? So we work uh, basically through all school years. So this year, for example, kids had 30 Saturday lessons. We work in the offices of companies. So we do mainly Saturdays because then we occupy existing amazing, mm -hmm. you know, fancy offices. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And also because the our teachers, mentors, how we call them, are mainly Working. people from tech industry. So it's kind of a, like a part-time job to them. Yep. Mm -hmm. It's giving back. They earn money. There is no mm -hmm. volunteering mm -hmm. because wow. it's a volunteering to me sounds Just, as a one-time act. Yeah, exactly. It, it and then you need you to commit. Yeah. It shows you don't have a sustainable idea. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So kind of they're all paid and, mm -hmm. uh, and they're tech industry people. So they breathe what they teach. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and, uh, I guess the content comes from something, you know, very popular like MIT Scratch, mm -hmm. which is, you know, all over the world. Mm -hmm. 
from to to things like um, Google AI models. We play with logics mm -hmm. uh, offline. We do design thinking. Mm -hmm. We do music engineering. We do VR world building and some prototyping. We do microbit, of course. We love BBC microbit yeah. in Lithuania. And um, we do some mechanics, some simple circuitry mm. but not too heavily on uh, hardware. on hardware yeah. it's more about mixing up and thinking I have this idea what tools do I need mm -hmm. to kind of pull them together mm -hmm. and of course when children get older like when I say older I mean 10, 11, 12 mm. they can go deeper into kind mm. of Uh, a bit more complex into programming languages yeah. so they try a bit more of JavaScript Python yeah. and we'll be experimenting with cybersecurity next year and doing some uh, and we're doing some uh, hacking okay. because that's what kids love I had two questions now I think you've given three <laughs> but um, the, the first one was so you mentioned you came you mentioned in our take one <laughs> yeah. that you came from London with the idea back here so the first question would be um, like computer classes for children generally speaking there's something you mentioned that I think makes you different but and we'll come back to that in yeah. a minute um, is a fairly common idea yeah. so was it that there was nothing no one else doing this in Lithuania before you started or I was guess, it very much just schools and things uh, in a very kind of project-to-project uh, -project base yeah. There were quite a few, and we still also have a very strong robotics scene. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But robotics are for some, mm -hmm. like 10%, mm -hmm. and the other 90%, they still need technological yeah. literacy. Not even talking about the girls, mm -hmm. because we have a 40-60% split of girls mm -hmm. and boys in our classes, mm -hmm. and robotics have 10-90, really? yeah. wow. which is, you know, sad. Yeah. And, uh, and I'm mostly proud of kids from day one starting working in diverse team yep. Yep. because they don't question it anymore exactly. yeah. and um, uh, I came from London 2012 and I was working in a startup Laman Labs who was acquired actually by a British company 312 mm -hmm. uh, so we were acquired and I was on maternity leave with my twins and I was thinking you know what's next mm -hmm. and I came back to this idea that I need to kind of I really need to feel that I'm making a difference otherwise why should I bother mm -hmm. uh, because in tech scene you have to be work super hard mm -hmm. always on the edge etc I got just, just got a bit tired yeah. Yeah. and um, and yeah I wouldn't say education is an untiring industry, but <laughs> but it's, it comes with it has more meaning to me personally. Yeah. And what you're oh. teaching, how does it align with what they learn at school? Like, what kind of technology do they learn at school? It's very different mm. from school stuff because at school they only have one lesson a week from grade fifth grade, so it's one. 45 minutes. One. Yes, so, and it's you know a lot of kids, and we work in small groups, six to eight, eight kids maximum mm. in a group. So it's very personal. They go deeper. They play around together. They share projects, and the thing, I guess, the main thing from school work is that we actually go and play with technology rather than learn it for the grade 
Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And uh, and the other thing is that we discuss with the kids whatever they want to do next. Mm. We don't tell them. We oh, exchange. So teaching them how to think. Exactly. We have so many yeah. times people crying during the lesson. Kids are uh, getting angry at themselves it's because they care, yeah. but they don't have the habit mm-hmm. because yeah. technology for them is play. Yeah. Like this guy, yeah. you know? He's just consuming it, you know, having the media. Okay. And when it comes to building, when it comes to building, they're like, no, I can't do this. You know, it's impossible. And I'm saying impossible. The word is yeah. illogical. We yeah. can't use yeah. it in computer science. Yeah. <laughs> and actually, you, you've come back to, again, something you mentioned in take one yeah. <laughs> that, that really sparked my interest. Um, but, yeah, firstly, that's one thing I would say is that there's often this cliche that young people, whatever that exactly means, yeah. have a better handle <laughs> on technology than older people, which I often find not to be true, because often, yes, they're more comfortable using it, but you're very right in that that doesn't make them any better at understanding yeah. how it works exactly. or building for exactly. it, actually. But the one aspect that you mentioned earlier as part of the curriculum that I thought was interesting was not just the coding class. I mean, that's actually something that is fairly widely done in the world. Yeah, There's yeah, lots yeah. of resources for children. But you also mentioned like the how it works in the more like, business way yeah. and the ethics side. And this is actually something I f- personally find very interesting because especially now as we've all become consumers and we are all, um, as the, the phrase goes, if you're not paying for it, you are the product. And this is actually something that children do not understand at yes. all and is incredibly important. And even adults, the number of times I've been in like Google events and Google actually are pretty open with how yeah. they make money. That's right. But still so few people are aware. And when they yeah. find out, they're like, People still question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And, why does it have an ad that when I went to a place, yeah. knew I was going there? And actually, I think... Because you checked in you and you, in the settings yeah. you said, you know, you but, use my data. And, uh, yeah. But this is an aspect that I think is, is taught very poorly. And when, I'm, when we were at, I think we were all possibly slightly different in age, but yeah. like the stuff we got taught at school was still very much just... Um, as consumers, not as... Yeah. Yeah. Um, but Almost I think it, it's an aspect mm. that gets not taught, not taught enough was how the businesses make money and understanding that and then making your own call. Fine. People who have acquired that knowledge can make their own call about, and I'm happy with Google and Facebook doing this. Yeah. But if you don't know, you can't make that decision. And it's something that I don't think is taught enough. So firstly... A, Congratulations on doing it. Yeah. Secondly, I'd be interested in like how you do it. How do you teach that without it just sounding like kind of telling off almost? Of, our, <laughs> yeah. So first thing is, I totally agree, and I guess uh, uh, first schools need to start addressing the issue of critical thinking. It's mm. not the technology, not the math, yeah. etc. It's critical mm. thinking, and that comes down to the art of mentoring. Teachers are not to tell. Mm. or to teach. Teachers are meant to lead Mm. on a journey Mm. and ask questions when they need to be asked. They don't need to tell the person what he needs to do. They need to ask if he understands what he's doing. Mm. And I guess that's the luxury we have with small groups Mm -hmm. that we know the kids and we kind of kind of feel if they're struggling mm-hmm. and we kind of address the issue right away you know it's like he came up with an idea you know you know I'll build this VR world where I'll shoot this and I'll shoot that and then you question it is shooting 
makes the game any better mm. maybe you can swap it for this or that or when it comes to kind of artificial intelligence you know oh, i want my you know i want my robot to to be you know to do my homework etc etc all these things and then the question okay. so what will you think about you know and all these little comments etc and that's not moralization it's just asking them to think and not avoiding of thinking situations mm-hmm. because that's what i guess schools lack because of the teaching you know giving knowledge to kids yeah, you yeah, know yeah. teacher is standing and everyone yeah. is sitting and now kids they know they're not they're so smart they yeah. know that the knowledge is in the phone yeah, they can exactly. just google it but they want a conversation they, to they want they yeah. want to be heard yeah. and technology is always they're very curious about technology mm. and if there are no adults that they can trust who teach them understand technology they'll stay online mm. forums gaming isolation they'll miss the social contact they'll miss this and in convenient social situation they'll build them up as a human mm-hmm. who understands technology rather than technologists who doesn't understand human a couple of things i'm thinking as you're talking is one is uh the people i know with children say one of their biggest struggles is getting children away from technology um as in particularly like you said as either they're playing games or they're on Snapchat or doing something sometimes social um or secondly the issue on a notes even an issue where we live in Germany where some classrooms have one computer that's it <laughs> yeah. like how do you like i'm not I'm not stating this is your responsibility as a school or anything like that but how do you deal with the equity issue of access to technology i mean That's a, oh that's a very deep it's a question. Hard one, yeah, it's know? a very hard one. It's so really tough. we have 800 kids in our Saturday school. 800. Yeah. 800, yes. wow. Yeah. So we just opened up in Berlin yeah. Yeah. and we're uh fingers crossed for Hamburg looking why, forward why Berlin? to uh because one of our teachers just wanted to move to Berlin and mm-hmm. start there. We actually live there. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. Nice. So she's doing it there with Kleiderkreisel uh, or Vinted, the Lithuanian yeah. second hand. They're mm. they're big in uh, in Germany mm-hmm. but uh, other rivals with eBay and they're opening up in UK growing bigly with okay. uh, Vinted. So it's like a second hand place yeah. uh, market. Yep. And um, so basically it's Yeah, it was her choice. She mm-hmm. was one of our teachers. Okay. She said, "I want to move there yeah. and I want to Great. open up a school." It's, do it's, it. It's interesting because they do have a lot of um a lot of the the kind of more open tech events there like the hack camps yes. and things have a lot of yes. stuff for kids, but mm-hmm. it's still very much about the um the making and not the other side of it. Um, yeah, it's yeah. it's first thing is it's all about uh, coding. Yeah. And second thing is all project based again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Event from event and yeah. education is about Don't continuity. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And that's what and, you learn. And that's the, and the difficult part of education yeah. because you can't stop. Mm. I can't stop and go to Bali for six months because I have lessons, I have mm. kids from, you know, socially sensitive backgrounds that I sometimes need to make sandwiches and take them to the class because yeah. there's no one to take them yeah. things like that you yeah. know i have to be you know and as an example i just i had a three day holiday for myself mm. and the flight was at 12 and i had a meeting at 10 because i needed to secure uh scholarships for my kids to go to the summer camp that we're doing a biotech summer camp this summer yeah. so i just need them because 
no one cares for them. And I truly believe that technology is a way to scrap social boundaries. Mm. Your computer doesn't care about your yeah. nails, my nails, your, yeah, you know, exactly your hair, yeah. your tall, you yeah, know, totally. whatever, who you are, mm. or, you know, who mm. your parents were mm. or are. Mm. And, uh, how do you fund it? Yeah, like, actually, continuing Kate's question, yeah. do you charge for the classes? Like, how do you fund we it char- So it's, there's, mm. We are a social business, yeah, of course. but there is self-funded social business. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we charge kids... So basically, parents pay mm-hmm. for some of the kids, like in Vilnius. Mm-hmm. We also have 400 kids in the regional town, the smaller towns, who are funded by one of the uh, web development companies, mm-hmm. oh, wow. DevBridge. That's yeah. Awesome. So they made this commitment to invest for 10 years so they wow. can grow their own generation. <laughs> and uh, yes. so, kind of, so they're, they're, they're almost yeah. growing their, their new workforce in a way. Yes, yes and no. Society, workforce, mm. uh, things like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, you know, Unless kids leave us. Unless they something at, saying yeah, they have to yeah, go yeah. and work for their company. <laughs> <laughs> I was no, no. It's not the army. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I guess they're, they're by this example, trying to show to other companies what because they're um, mostly American-based, their business yeah. is mostly American-based, mm. they are trying to show how, what real corporate responsibility yeah. looks like. Yeah. It's not only and the techie positives events. And negatives of yes. America versus European models. Yeah, well. yeah, yeah. What kind of response do you get from the, the local schools? The, yeah. Like, <laughs> do they feel like, do they wish Jealous. they could do it? Or are they kind of like... Various. I would say various. Now we do... Um, so basically, uh, because I know everyone in Tech in Lithuania and I'm the badass, I can kick their asses and say, guys, you live an amazing life in this opera and login stage, but there are kids in the rural areas That's right. who know nothing about technology mm. and no. they still think that winning X Factory is the best thing in the world. That's aspiration. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's true. Yeah. Because aspiration is built through YouTube, Instagram, That's television true. and things like that mm. and they don't know the reality. Mm. They don't know who actually earns the money in Lithuania. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I did started this uh, 100 school project because Lithuania turned 100 years yep. as a dependent country this year. So I'm kicking asses and taking all these engineers who are under there to rural schools, do a coding exercise, workshop with kids and do a, like a 30 minute talk and say what they're doing and mm. who they are, who yeah. are the people in tech industry because yeah. there's people from, you know, customer service to, yeah. you know, CEOs and they all need to be seen, yeah. all the women, the girls and, so, mm. and then kids, you know, mm. they might not, they're so different, some like coding more, some like speaking more, you know, mm. and that's how tech industry is. There's a role for everybody, right? Exactly. Mm. I want kids to understand that it's not about if, it's about where Mm. in the tech industry they will end up. Mm. And uh, that there is opportunity. Maybe they're in a rural school now, Mm. but the internet is there, the global thing is there, so they're, they're, they're themselves can actually start step by step building, you know, those uh, skills. At least at least they open up for the opportunity. So they see mm. little things around them. You know, you just, you know. It's exposure as much and it, exactly. norma- it normalizes it. Yes. Rather than being for those yes. clever people or those rich people yeah. or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. so there's three things. One, mm. so this kicking those snobby asses and showing the division of people in the tech scene and the normal people, yeah, you know. Exactly. Um, the other thing is kind of to show the kids that we care. Mm. And also the third one is to kind of understand how the schools work. So 
few ins- we just been to 25 schools so mm. then another 75 come in autumn so the first thing is kids love it mm. they want to know more about technology teachers are afraid uh, and schools are not ready mm. so who's responsible for that we can give the content for the kids to continue to learn we can you know train the teachers uh, train the teachers by you know for example with you know taking some money from Google or other tech company to give us you know so we can mentor the teachers in yeah. the regular schools but the government needs to take care of the infrastructure you know uh, I think it's just very slow and uh, there's other problems usually you know and uh, I'm in a good position because I'm not educational policy person yeah. I'm a startup yeah so I just cut corners you just jump in and get it done exactly you don't have to if I need money it's a paper yeah exactly and when you say about funding yeah I, I know how much money there is in tech industry so I just know who to ask yeah. and like you said if all these companies have it some some way shape or form some kind of social or corporate responsibility policy or practice or yeah. something that they you know you often have to remind them they have it exactly exactly and and also yeah. I'm not going for earning a million I always yeah. go with the saying I need this and this because I'll do this this and that mm. so it's sustainable and it's transparent have you ever had a point with some of these partnerships where they've uh, wanted to put an agenda across in the curriculum that you weren't comfortable with or not yet or not yet and, and in the future I mean how do you think you'd cope with that I would just say no. Okay. <laughs> Easy for me. <laughs> one, one question I have, I was thinking about, as you were talking earlier, um, that we've talked about young people as consumers of technology. Do you think this will translate to other kind of critical thinking in other parts of their life? Because I'm thinking about television, for example, the way young people are bombarded with advertising. And like we said, you know, this very superficial way of, oh, you've got to look this way and you've got to have these material possessions. Do you think some of these lessons they're learning, even if they don't go and work in tech, could, could come out in other ways? I think... Being a very good consumer of technology makes you less able to live a reality. Mm. So, as one of the speakers yesterday, Aurelia, mentioned that focus is the new IQ. Mm. So, usage of technology is definitely opposing it. Yeah, that's right. So I'm trying to explain to the kids, I'm giving them examples of how the brain understands technology, all these impulses, little, you know, mm. pop-ups, etc., mm. because it's so loud mm. without even the noise. Mm. Because for a brain, it can't just take all these visual information. Mm. It just picks whatever it wants. Mm. So basically... It's they manipulate the uh, the one who watch, watches. So um, I think we have to be technologically conscious first of all as adults, because kids are just a reflection of us not understanding what we're doing, of us not understanding and not being attentive to how we use 
technology. And uh, when they go deep into the usage, it's very hard for them to get out, really, because uh, it's, you know, it's built to be used heavily. Mm. Yeah. I mean, adults too. I mean, we've, exactly. We've both been remarking recently on how our kind of attention and focus has become challenged and we've both yes. been doing our own kind of methods to attempt to reverse some of that. Yeah, and then very. people, you know, and very, and then what people do, you know, they start meditations, they yeah. look for improvement, camps, whatever, they cut on sugar, try diets, you know, sports, whatever, but they don't change the core. Somehow someone convinced us that juggling is the way to be. Mm. I really believe for a long time that me being a good juggler is my uh, advantage. Yeah. But it's maybe advantage in a job, but not to me as a person. Because I'm scattered here. It's advantageous, obviously, like... If you have children and you need to, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. but yeah, 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 yeah. But 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 I but but we can do. But we can when we talk about you know logistics and stuff. I guess it's unavoidable, you know, and you kind of get used to it. But uh, when it comes to work and like social media, etc., your brain doesn't jump that quickly off and off. You know, from notification to notification. Someone yesterday mentioned, I really love that example. For example, Instagram, they don't show you likes together. They notificate you every like Every like. Every like. Every like. like Exactly. That's that's not... It's it's an interesting example. Some of the bad examples are the ones that actually deliberately lead you down a certain path. Yeah. For example, you know, for me, I, I train myself, I'm training myself off social media. So I turn off all notifications. I'm not reachable instantly. Mm. I'm not real time. I'm Mm. present, but I'm not real time. Mm. And uh, that's why I guess the, the problem with, you know, the kind of juggling and, you know, Mm. because the brain is not present. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we kind of give a brain to pressure to be real time as the technology is. Yeah. Yeah. Which is not. And yeah. uh, that's kind of the, you know, I think that's the difficult question for the 21st century AI revolution coming and how we explain it to the kids because we so easily manipulate the technological terms when talking about a human. Mm. And uh, we put the same words and we simplify and kind of connect them as if they were the same. They were the same, and then we don't question it anymore. So critical thinking, I guess, is uh, just you know, yeah. it's everything when it comes to imagination and uh, making choices, understanding you know all the fake news, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And it's very hard because adults don't know themselves if they have critical thinking yep. <laughs> yeah, I mean you. I think this is an inter- interesting thing we, we focus on teaching children but adults are just as uh, <laughs> but, you know, through, but the thing is with, with adults that through children yeah, you get yeah, yeah, yeah. adults yeah. through the conversation because you can't get children without adults yeah. intervening you know and for example you know we don't have lessons for parents but within 
monthly newsletter, you know, we send them, you know, news yeah. about what's happened, yeah, etc. Yeah, yeah. And then we set some tips, ah, some okay. nice articles from the world on, you know, yeah. AI revolution mm. or deep learning mm. on technology usage. You know, sometimes we translate, sometimes mm. we just send it, you know, to New Yorker mm. just to yeah. read. And maybe they've never came across that article. But, you know, even if 10% read it, yeah, some, exactly. some month one reads, the other mm. one then yeah. tells to a friend. Exactly. And that's you know, education. So it's exposing people to new exactly. ideas and new ways of thinking. So, so you said you have 800 students in Lithuania and yes. how many in Germany right now? We have, we opened up April only. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So we have 15 kids there and uh, hoping to expand to 50, 60 for the next school year. And then I guess starting to establish bit by bit kind of partnership with local companies. As far as I could tell, you offer in Lithuanian, German and English. Is it kind of very much up to the, the, the kids and the teacher. Like yes. Berlin is obviously a fairly international city, so it's probably going to be a bit of a mix. Yes. I guess regional Lithuanian is going to be mostly Lithuanian. Yes. Um, the technical language, of course, is English, because mm. that's the, how technology works. But communication is local. So the question I've been asking uh, a lot of people, and obviously you're already running in multiple mm. countries, mm. but um, what's it like... So starting a, an entrepreneurial venture in Lithuania, what are the positives, what are the negatives? The positive say as many or as yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I guess the most negative thing, but that's my, that's my thing, is that you take it personally. Mm. Because uh, in a small scene, everybody knows you mm. and uh, every little failure is seen. Mm. And you usually, if you hire people, you hire them through personal connections. And it's kind of a bit of a community family-like thing. So the, it's personal. Yes. And you kind of do it as well, you know, for your country because you want to live good. Yeah, from kind of egoistic reasons. But you feel, so that's, I guess, the negative thing. And, um, and the positive thing... It just, you can live in a small country where you know everything yeah. and you can travel with your mind. Yeah. And uh, the city is convenient. So the size on both sides in some respects. Isn't it? Yes. I'm not the first person to say that actually. For different yeah. reasons. But. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is there and, a help for startups here? I'm not a startup. In, in the Lithuanian sense, yeah, 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 because I'm more of a social business. Yeah. But even and then? Uh, even then, I don't know. Like, is there, I don't know. You know, the problem incubators is... Incubators or hubs, or is it more there's about... There's quite a lot, especially in fintech and blockchain. To make this profit and kind of... Yeah. I think it's finally we have some companies who made through kind of big investments and then, you know, failed and, you know, had to fire people and then rehire people, all these. So at least we have to companies that we can learn from. I heard the fintech one a lot. Actually, it's interesting because everyone hears about, you know, when London exits the EU, it's going to be Frankfurt, never. But actually, I was told here that the the approval because once you get approval in one country in the EU you have approval for the whole EU yeah, but right. here is actually the easiest yeah so there's actually a surprise our approach. Lithuanian bank uh, did some exceptions <laughs> so kind of uh, yeah, and we sandbox. said uh, and they're sent uh, and they're advertising that you know to the British companies or to international companies who are in the UK saying guys when Brexit comes we're here mm. 
about all the kind of tech scene and, you know, is it hard? Is it easy? I'm very bad at answering this because I'm the person who usually thinks of what I can do rather than what I yeah. can't do. But you're also bringing a mirror to the industry itself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Almost exploiting is a bad word, but using the advantage and disadvantage they have to your exactly own. exactly <laughs> but that's you know that's that's i really i really openly say i really openly say to the industry guys you're the ones who are having have the most money in the economy now that's right please give back well, my name is Paulus Vertalk and I'm director of Infobalt. Okay. And Infobalt is not a company. It's okay. a business association. Okay. It's like a tech council if you go through the, you know, American prison of wording. Ah, like a national trade association if you're looking from the European prison. Anyways. So, uh, we represent Lithuanian ICT industry. Okay. So, we have about 170 members as of right now. So, uh, primarily most of them are IT development companies. Uh, IT product development, uh, telcos related research institutions, fintechs, and then related legal and consulting service providers. So sort of like an ecosystem yeah. that, you know, at some point we can call ourselves like a representative of the clean and digital economy yeah. uh, some sort, but it's like, it's still in under development. Well, you actually, so, I mean, I, I've asked a lot of questions to some of the people we've spoken to who don't always know the answer to some of them, because they only see their kind of immediate yeah. area, but you're actually the perfect person to probably answer uh, a lot of those sort of questions. Um, yeah. Hopefully. I think I think where to start because usually they've been like the, the and finally questions in all the other issues. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of the whole purpose of Don't ask me specific questions. No, <laughs> like no, no, I can no, explain no. you the trends and tendencies. Well, that's exactly why we just been knowing. I mean, the, the question I wanted to know first was um, what would you say the Lithuanian tech scene is good at? tech scene is good at? What do they specialize in? Be it a language or a technology or an attitude? Um, it's probably two things that really kind of stand out. Um, if you look a bit more historically, it would be like e-government solution providers. Okay. Um, Lithuanian IT industry is dominated by bigger companies that used to provide uh, uh, and build uh, government solutions. Uh, so something that you know mm-hmm. takes care of the citizens, takes care of the government internal systems and stuff like that. Um, and then the other one is probably a very startup-y environment and the, and the amount of startups that we have in Lithuania. Uh, I think we're in the top three in the Baltic Sea region in terms of uh, startups per capita. Uh, in the area mm-hmm. so people with the entrepreneurship and the desire and the curiosity to actually build something by themselves is very prevailing uh, in the in the in the sort of the tech industry scene um, and we see companies like Telesoftus for example and RRH deeper uh, we made deeper this morning yeah <laughs> it's like some of them are even bigger like Rotella you know that yeah. kind of grew up from a smaller yeah. company that ventured out on themselves and became like really yeah. a global player in 
in, in their own field. Um, and this trend is continuing. I guess we're just waiting for that right moment when the unicorn hits the market. Yeah, this is yeah. interesting because, I mean, um, Estonia, for example, had these kind of unicorns a long time ago, and it's given them a, a confidence. And a lot of the other countries we speak to are waiting for this kind of moment where you become globally more, not not just recognized, but also then the confidence. Yeah. Because the interesting thing that we were told by Estonian companies was that the ex-people of Skype and things like that are everywhere, and they pass on this kind of confidence and knowledge to the other people. Yes. So that helps a lot, because if someone who's already who's done it before kind of thing to learn from um, which is not to say that there aren't people with experience, but it's kind of this, you know, this very well-known company experience. Yeah, one very easily identifiable, yeah. you know, uh, kind of success story. In Lithuania, uh, we have smaller ones, yeah. multiple ones, on which we kind of base and fuel yeah. uh, the hype. Well, inadvertently, I have been looking at the products of two Lithuanian companies without even knowing, which was Nordtel, because I was looking at VPNs that I didn't realize they were okay. Lithuanian. And I ended up actually going with the Trail for Express, but I might uh, change that. <laughs> no, I don't. Um, and also Datadog, which I didn't realize was okay. Lithuanian until yesterday. Um, more from my more technical work. I did a, something recently on the sector that they work in. Um, and what would you say there's any cultural or historical reason for any of those uh, areas of expertise or success? I cannot say it for a fact. No, for sure. It's, it's going to be like, a, you know, I don't have a research paper uh, that explains this all, but um, one thing is, the, and, and, it, and it comes actually from the uh, from the investors that have invested in Lithuania uh, throughout the years and their observations. And one thing is very clear is that the curiosity uh, coming out of Lithuanian people within the tech sector is the one um, uh, one of the outstanding qualities. Uh, because what happens, you know, that they come in, they invest in a, in a, in a, in a fairly small country. Uh, they say, okay, we have an ambition for a few hundred people office. And then, you know, a few years down the, down the line, they exceeded their plan by fourfold, fivefold. Yeah. Um, and what happens is like people that are supposed to do simple functions, they start suggesting systematic changes. Um, and this has happened throughout multiple like, bigger investor stories uh, throughout Lithuania. And I think this is one of the major reasons why we have this startup kind of hype happening here in Lithuania and why we have, like, in general, like tech industry, uh, very lively tech industry within here, within the country. It's just that, you know, people pick up the problem, or even if there is no evident problem, they seek by themselves how to improve it. Yeah. Uh, and if from that, you start building either solutions or business cases, you know, that kind of gets the things rolling here. I, w- I, would put it, I would put it there. Do you sort of, like, we had this conversation actually a lot with people in Ukraine, which is probably, for various reasons, a little further back. Okay. In, in many things it's obviously a lot bigger they have more problems um, that countries that especially on the periphery of Europe or in Europe as in your case <laughs> yeah that have this history of kind of being outsourcing destinations that 
it can sometimes in the long run be a hindrance to entrepreneurship because people get comfortable, they're kind of reasonably well paid, they're happy doing the stuff, but then at a certain point maybe people start getting a bit bored with that and they want to do their own thing. Um, but some of the things we heard from Telesofters, possibly they're going to say this because that's their business, um, was that as long as you sort of give the people who work in there enough creativity within that outsourcing business, it doesn't matter too much. But I mean, from your perspective, do you think there may come a time where you have to move forward into into doing more new projects, or doesn't matter, or there's a nice mix at the moment? Or? Um, actually, I think the the tag on Lithuania being an outsourcing destination, I think it's passing by, and okay. if it hasn't passed already. Um, because the reason is more and more companies that you talk to, you know, some of them used to be outsourcing companies where you come and buy an hour of programmers and, you know, and they do a specific task based on the order that they receive. And now that you can see the clear trend happening that they get orders to create a solution mm. all the way to, from from A to Z. Okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And they might be, you know, a B2B kind of yeah. request, you know, create me a solution to navigate the naval ship yeah. in like the oceans based on the, you know, weather currents. Yeah. And, I don't know. And find, find yeah. a way to work around, you know, the fuel consumption yeah. issues. And this is what's happening. They start creating the whole systematic approach as opposed to, you know, just bits yeah. and pieces without controlling the Sure. product and I think this is like the driving force that you know picking up pace within Lithuania uh, and, uh, and it kind of correlates with what you said that you know even if you're an outsourcing business and you just give them the freedom to expand as much as you want uh, this kind of correlates with what we see currently within the industry scene uh, is, that, is that companies companies themselves and their portfolios have full products uh, yeah. and the full responsibility yeah. for the product. You know, some people call it out sharing. Uh, I mean, to be honest with you, yes. my next question was going to be like, and you sort of asked that answer already, like what is the difference between outsourcing and just being an agency? And actually, I think that aspect that you said of um, you are literally a resource that people just throw work at you versus we need to figure out how to solve a problem, help us solve that problem. Yes. And in some cases, it's a slight gray area. And in other cases, it might be, you know, people like me from older countries being a little looking down ever so slightly and not having a somewhat outdated impression. And, and sometimes it, it depends who you speak to and things like that, of course. But yeah. And I think what's, what, what it's leading us towards is, um, you know, Lithuania might not be well known as a uh, consumer-oriented product, yeah. you know, developing shop. Um, but with more and more like B2B kind of end-to-end -end product development, we see a shift in the end uh, and that a slight growth or like the, the pace of uh, demand is uh, picking up uh, its speed in terms of uh, uh, user experience specialists. Yeah. Uh, product developers, yeah. designers, yeah. Uh, and all of those people. You know, sooner or later, you're still seeing more and more uh, consumer end uh, products coming out of Lithuania. And then, to be fair, especially in the kind of world of startups where you um, maybe will struggle financially for a bit, like consumers don't make you a lot of money. <laughs> B2B is usually far more 
lucrative, at least in the short term. Um, you know, I've worked for a few SaaS companies myself, and for some reason, you always think that someone paying five dollars a month makes a lot of difference. But it doesn't really. It's the, it's the people paying five thousand dollars a month that actually make the revenue for a company. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and we'll see. You know, it it helps to have a consumer end product like you know, Estonia has the Skype. It helps for branding, yeah. and it's like, oh, so this is the exactly. place where tech happens. It's, it's how people know. But besides that, it doesn't. I don't think it really matters. <laughs> No. You know, in the end, no. you can't create just as much good by focusing on B2B solutions or like yeah. even products that use machine-to-machine communication with yeah. no user experience and what's not for sure. Exactly. That requires a great amount of ingenuity and uh, innovativeness with whatever to make things work. And uh, I think Lithuania has potential for both. Yeah. Uh, you know, with, we might not look as shiny or might not present ourselves as as shiny as other countries do. Um, to be honest, when you look at you know to be honest, I mean my experience in Europe if if the if the uh, the barometer of shininess is is somewhere like America, then most countries in Europe don't. Maybe the UK slightly. That's about it, really. Like Germany doesn't. Um, their, their thing is very different. Like most European countries don't. And to be honest with you, I think that's a good thing. America is often this kind of. And you talked about unicorns, and like a lot of European uh, markets are always chasing a unicorn. And a lot of the time, I say, I, I think, why? Just because you feel like you should, just because all these American kind of programs say you should. Like I don't think that's the European way. The American way is very much like you win big, you lose big. The European way is a bit more like a kind of okay, sort of just in the middle, like just being successful enough. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing sometimes. Um, and this is often, I've worked at plenty of companies where they keep engineering or something like that in Europe, like the real work. Okay, it's a bad thing to say. And the marketing and sales happens in the US. And the shiny happens there. <laughs> and it's not necessarily an economy thing. Um, and I think it's, it's, it's important even for us to even understand that, you know, being great at niche things yeah. is also just yeah, as exactly. great. And this is, you know, Lithuania is that. So what's like, your niche? We, what's the Lithuanian niche? Oh, God. <laughs> like, uh, we have multiple niches, I suppose. I, I, yeah, I, I wouldn't be able to actually name them all. It's just, I, I, I think I'm speaking even from, like, the company's perspective, you know. You, you'll make a product or a solution, you know, which doesn't, you know, have a billion users or, you know, 100 million users or whatever. You might be using something or creating something that uses, you know, a few companies, uh, but the impact you create is, uh, is uh, fairly uh, significant. Um, and, you know, if you ask... Uh, if you ask uh, our like top country leaders, you know they go around and like start naming is like old oh, lasers, like industrial lasers. Like it's like you go into like really specific, but you're like at the very top yeah, yeah, yeah. of the world suppliers. You know, uh, it's just one of the most prevailing kind of examples. Is it, is it lasers then? Lasers. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It's like it's something that 
that's completely unexpected for Palestinians. Yeah, always people being helped building the Death Star. Yeah. Uh, so laser technology is something that is uh, being developed on a really advanced level, and they make research-oriented lasers. Oh, okay. Not only, you know... I was joking. <laughs> I know, I know. Lasers, most lasers are not... I don't think any lasers are used in weapons, really. I'm just joking. Um, how long has the organization existed for? Since 1994. So, um, what's, what's changed over the years? In your knowledge, what's well, changed? I myself, I was, uh, I'm with the organization for what, three years now. Uh, so the history that I know, it started off as a trade show, actually, uh, a hardware software trade show where you come and look at, you know, the newest monitor, the newest, you know, graphics uh, uh, board, and uh, you know, the personal computers and, and uh, boxed office suit programs, you know, like all those kind of things. This is how it took off. Um, in the 1994, and I think around 2000, or like 1999, they started uh, they started going into like the political policy development area, where they said, okay, maybe our government should start looking into this digital area as the new future for the country. You know, I signed a political memorandum with all political parties at the parliament at the time. You know, agreeing to develop information-driven society and all that. Then uh, I think that laid a, uh, a foundation, uh, some sort that you know uh, we uh, that we utilized, uh, especially uh, from the moment we joined the EU. Uh, with the great amount of money being invested or that was invested in, in, in Lithuania to really uh, develop Lithuanian information systems and the government's uh, solutions and all that. That helped the industry to really pick up the pace and boom. The biggest and the, the biggest companies at the time, that's how they formed. That's how they got challenging requests. That was about right. 2005? Was I think it, it was, you can look at the period, yeah. 2004 to 2009, probably 12, yes. this, this, this whole period. Because the year was only 2012, wasn't it? Oh, so 15 years. Oh, wait. Well, we joined the European Union in 2004. And the euro was more recent. Four. Yeah, and the euro was recent. Uh, so the EU funding era kind of helped us uh, to develop the bigger companies, you know, yeah. get the challenges yeah. that are bigger in, the, in, the, in their scale, you know, develop information systems for the, for the whole government. Mm-hmm. We have to supply, you know, services for three, 3 million people and stuff like that. So that was one era, um, I think, that really kind of helped the industry develop. And of course, in parallel, there were all these specialized shops, you know, specializing in telematics, for example. That's why we have a couple of well-known companies. Uh, like Ruptella that supply over 100 some countries in the world with uh, telematic solutions. Um, so these niche niche ones, uh, you know, they were growing also at the time. Um, and then uh, I think probably like 2010 and upwards, the startup thing started picking up. Uh, started up picking up pace um, and became much more, you know, Fashionable and also big investors came into Lithuania with uh, like Barclays, with Union, uh, CSC at the time now was DXC Technologies. All the big brand companies that hired up a lot of a lot of IT talent. 
uh, at the time, and you know, they came in with a, with a fairly low ambition, and they ended up growing, multiplied, multiple times beyond their set targets at the time. Um, and I think we're at the stage now. It's like, okay, so with the government side, is you know, it's happening. It might be a slow period for us right now within the country. But the companies that develop that know-how uh, now they're looking out at the exports. And it's one of the reasons why Lithuanian ICT service exports or actually IT service exports, I think they grew over sixty-five percent last year. So, um, and it's a, and if, if I'm not mistaken. It's nearly like the double of what we had in 2015. So if you look at 2017, you know, we're still double the amount of IT service experts. So the companies, you know, that did things internally started turning in mass towards the foreign markets, towards the export markets. At the same time, we had the, uh, the IT support center boom uh, generated by foreign investment, and then a startup scene. Uh, kind of picking up fast pace at the same time and uh, looking onwards we see that uh, you know product developing is something that is becoming more and more popular you know more and more companies develop products end to end they don't just outsource anymore um, and uh, with the IT uh, service centers in Lithuania now there's a circulation of people uh, which feeds the startup scene with quality experience individuals and that's one of the reasons that's why we uh, we think that we got some uh, really good chances to become a fintech hotspot okay. uh, in the continent I think uh, I it's think everyone is sort of hoping that when uh, London isn't part of the European Union anymore that they'll be able to pick up the yeah. <laughs> sure. you know and then, then, then when you put together a uh, the most favorable regulation on the continent together with the talent supply that knows the financial side of things you know it's like financially literate and IT uh, professionals in one place uh, you might have a good recipe for magic to have it what do you mean by um, most favorable policy uh, licensing procedures for uh, fintech. For fintech, yeah. It takes uh, up to three months actually to get licensed in Lithuania, as opposed to you know, probably like a year in London uh, if you want to start operations. I just thought it was European level actually, but um, uh, you know. so each country so it has its own uh, procedures of uh, validating them. And uh, the good thing is, if you get licensed in Lithuania, you're part of the whole SEPA area, the European Euro area, and you're good to go. And the bank, you know, the central bank and the Ministry of Finance, what they're doing is uh, they're trying to minimize the bureaucratic obstacles as much as they can. Uh, and they, they actually openly talk about about it and present that, you know, we have a nice procedure for you. Uh, why don't you come and do, you know, set up shop here in Lithuania? Uh, and along the lines, they are also working on sandboxes. So if you come up with an idea that isn't really, you know, regulated yet or it's not sure exactly how it's regulated they have sandboxes where they kind of work with you and guide you through the you know uh, through the process while you develop your business model um, and they let you operate in this kind of controlled environment to see that you know everything is in line as opposed to just kind of uh, uh, 
saying, saying no, no, no it's, yeah. it's not going to work. So they're actually playing around and yeah. they create an environment where you can experiment. In this is what's interesting to me because Germany, France, maybe UK to a lesser extent, well, they're a little bit more risk-taking. Um, because they're such big countries, trying new things is always... It takes a very long time. And one of the appealing things, especially of the Baltic countries, because they're small, but the economies are increasing, unlike, say, the smaller countries in the Balkans or something, for example, whose economies are not so strong. So they might want to experiment, but they don't necessarily have the resources to do so. Um, it's actually great places to to see a lot of innovation because you have governments that can change quickly hear the people quickly as well um, one of the quotes that always stuck in my mind when I was interviewing people in Estonia was if we have a problem we can send a message to the, the president and they're discussing it in parliament the next day <laughs> I don't know if that happens in Lithuania but I'm not sure yeah it might take a few hours longer <laughs> two days so. <laughs> that's about it it's yeah you know the, which yeah. in Germany yeah. I mean it's <laughs> agility yeah pretty much uh, it is and some people might perceive it as a potential weakness because there's more chance of risk but it's also quicker to recover as well it's the thing with smaller countries maybe um, well in that way you can react quickly yeah exactly uh, so. so do you do you work for the government or no okay because you, you've sort of already spoke about the positives but I also always like to ask and this can be policy it can be financial location whatever reason you like but what do you think could make being an entrepreneur in Lithuania better or easier what could make an entrepreneur what's hard here right now if, if you want to try a, an idea you think is going to work what makes that hard oh okay so you're talking you're asking about the obstacles yeah okay um I think that right away and, and it's both the strength and the weakness I think actually um Because if you want to do, to build a successful startup from Lithuania, you are forced immediately to think internationally yep. right away. Yep. So there is no this kind of weird extra step where you launch nationally and then it's like, okay, we need to go abroad and yep. this becomes like unbelievably challenging. Here, whatever you're doing here, right away you're thinking about yep. international thing. Uh, and so it's like one of the things is like, if you do a business in Lithuania, You have a market of 500 million people. Yeah. Um, and yes, it's both difficult because when you're launching from here, you have to have knowledge about, you know, that 500 million people market, uh, the home market that we have here, or, uh, you know, the global. So, you, you know, it's a, it's a know-how that you need to gather. Um, uh, but at the same time, it's like very, uh, how do you say, uh, it's like circulating uh, very easily so you don't get closed off uh, you're, you cannot 
let yourself be closed off uh, within the Lithuanian market because the market is too shallow for you over here. I take it mostly as a positive, because um, I like global thinking people. But I suppose the only negative is it can take a bit longer to do your research. You probably have to learn the language or languages to a certain point that aren't your own. And, you know, we talk about Europe. Europe is not one culture. <laughs> so, there's certain places where you can maybe get away with doing things in English or, for example, in a certain other way you couldn't. Yeah, you have to kind of know what's appropriate where. Um, but it does make you more flexible that's for sure it's like one thing we we need to just get even better at is uh, attracting more different people to come here and work here uh, so the more variety that we have the more experiences we have the more nationalities ethnicities you know whatever division you want to pick up uh, the, the, the bigger the palette uh, we have the more successful we can be I mean, this is uh, just comes down to really competing globally for the talents uh, and attracting them here. And luckily, we, you know, at least in my opinion, because uh, I myself came back to Lithuania uh, from the United States, is uh, where we have a fairly, uh, fairly good uh, uh, standard of living here. If you live in Vilnius, it's easy to get around. It's a nice city. It's not polluted. You have lots of nature all around it's like all these benefits as opposed to living in a big metropolis uh, I like big cities but I know yeah. what you mean um, I mean it's definitely a mm. thing of a style and, uh, and things like that but we have our strengths mm. and why would we offer you know, why would somebody like to live here it's a problem I've actually discussed from sort of the other side it's interesting because so for various reasons I've gone to a lot of events in the Balkans I've spoken to lots of people in the Balkans and they have a similar problem but I suppose often with them it's more that people don't really they're not the most attractive places because they're often poorer countries so they have very monocultural okay and actually the the, the reason we were talking about it I was talking doing some talks last year in Serbia about like, diversity in tech and I had a lot of people say to me from Hungary and and um, Serbia and uh, Croatia we like what you say but we don't have any diversity in our population apart from gender how how can we get diverse people into a workforce when they're not available here which is an interesting question and not one I necessarily had an answer to and the interesting thing with the countries over here is you're right they're far more attractive but how do you how do you encourage people more to come I don't know and, and actually the same thing the same yeah yeah we have a good example of that um, about four years ago um, Lithuania experienced a game dev boom mm. where people actually the companies that were operating in the Belarus Ukraine Russia moved the whole operation into Lithuania with the whole office and their staff mm. this causes you know and mass sort of relocation of uh, different background people into the country that end up circulating all around and starts to creating a more international sort of a 
um, ecosystem over here. Also, expat community that helps. You know, either uh, you know the ones that married Lithuanians and moved back here, and also at the same time, it's the Lithuanians who went abroad. Yeah. And start coming back slowly. Yeah. They yeah. bring back all kinds yeah. of backgrounds of the game. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know we. Within Lithuania, you can find all kinds of you know areas of interest and focus. And like for example, last week we had a conference uh, uh, ICT for D, ICT uh, uh, Information Communication Technologies for Development mm-hmm. in Africa. Okay. So we have people flying in from from Ghana, from Nigeria, from Tanzania, and that happens every year. And uh, hopefully our partners, Patrick, they, they will be successful in actually building a, a European Commission funded project where we have an exchange program really like Nigeria and Lithuania where the be because Africa would come so underrepresented in tech but they have great talents and they have amazing opportunities and for us it's very important to even build the ties and you know build a business relationship and share the experiences and and perhaps even go and and expand you know the startup scene over there and we have few startups that did that so on that note though like what skills do you think are mostly lacking in Lithuania what skills? I can say what is up and coming demand. Okay, yes, coming that's, in. that's the same thing. I think that's uh, maybe a more positive way of saying it. <laughs> where we see, uh, you know, where we see that we will need more people uh, sooner or later, and it's very directly tied with the, the newest developments is the you know user experience, product development. Cybersecurity. It's these areas that are picking up speed in terms of their growth, hence the demand will go up. Mm. Uh, we see the demand going up, and uh, this is where we'll need the talent supply to pick up the pace as well. Okay. Um, but in general, I think you know when you speak in the in IT terms, it's like anything goes. Everybody. It's like you go anywhere you go. I don't. I don't know a country that has oversupply. No. The world is just absorbing all IT people. I heard. I heard some people say that he could do with um, more skills and people sort of the ancillary to the development like people who are good at marketing and talking about a, pro- a technical product to people say like that um, maybe I mean I as a job this is what I do as a job but I don't work in sales yeah. so it's not always sales but just people who are better at explaining things maybe whether it be for marketing for sales or just for user experience yeah and, and you're I think you're what you're, what you're getting to is this like um, sensitive area of Lithuanian uh, I don't know is it like we look at our neighbors and some of our neighbors like for example in Estonia and stuff how they're able to portray themselves mm. and, and, and and, and, and present themselves. Yeah. Okay, espresso. Espresso. Yeah. And here we are, all a bit too humble at instances. It's not unique to here. How do we uh, pull this? How do we pull this trick and actually uh, yeah. present what we're doing and what we're having here uh, in an appropriate, I don't know, approachable manner and something like that? Because sometimes you have to. I think, in my in, in my opinion, is that uh, uh, foreigners might have to like dig a little bit extra to discover Lithuania. So, I guess uh, the the final point there would be like, what would your selling points be? And this is actually a thing I've heard, especially in the Baltic countries. The challenge they have is, say, they want to get someone from America or the UK. The immediate reaction of those people is they look at, say, the wage and they think it's less. 
I mean, of course, obviously, when you look at cost of living and things like that, it isn't probably. It's probably, if not equal. Yeah. Um, but what would be some ignoring that side of things? What would be some other encouraging words to to, to foreigners to, to come here? Besides the salary, besides the fact that ignore that, you know, it's a it's a very good quality of life. What would be other positives besides the good quality of life? It's a pretty good one. I know. <laughs> like it encompasses the whole thing. Like, I, I don't All know right. what's what's there. <laughs> what else? Maybe I answered like, my own question. <laughs> yeah, but the, you know, the quality of life is it's it depends on your taste. Uh, true, true, true. You know, it's uh, it's a smaller yet international. City, yeah. it's a like European capital nonetheless. If yeah. you're talking about Vilnius, but other cities are picking up pace too. We went to Kaunas yesterday. If you talk about yeah. wages, I don't know why does anybody have to even think that you have to stick to Lithuanian average salary? No, because it's like it doesn't really matter. It's the same in Berlin. Like the Berlin average wage, because it's still old East Germany, is is relatively low. But if you're working for any other startups or any international companies, like it's way up. Yeah, so it's not. It's just this is where you live and work. Yeah. But your market and your business exactly. model is exactly. global. Exactly, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Well, we we've been cutting down on like requirements and the procedures in mm. terms of our migration. Um, That's actually rare to hear in the modern. And that, that was <laughs> the one actually working myself uh, uh, back in the day on, on, on uh, cutting the procedure times and the blue card processing and all stuff like that. But now it's like. Um, I think it's like two or three times the average Lithuanian salary, which is, I don't know, maybe slightly over 2,000 euros. You can get the permits for three years right away. I mean, it's, it shouldn't be a problem. I don't know. Um, it's, it's, it's more of a, like, okay, how do we get more people to use this procedure? Thing, you know, you have, you have countries like France, Germany, UK, who... And not actually very foreign friendly, really. And they can be hard, they can be expensive, they can be a struggle. But they have such large economies, they don't have to try very hard to attract people. Uh-huh. You know, so they, they, they put up all these barriers because they know people will come anyway. Whereas the smaller countries are the opposite. Like, they actually want people and they work extra hard to make it easy and yet people still don't come. And it's like, <laughs> they kind of have to counter this weird kind of just like black hole effect of some of these other countries. And it's strange because most of the foreigners I meet who move to countries like this end up loving it for that precise reason because you're actually far more welcome. You were like a star. And thank you for listening. That was our interview with Monica from Bit and Byte and Paulius from Infobelt. If you enjoyed the show, you can find previous episodes at gregariousmammal.com slash podcast. And you can support the show at gregariousmammal.com slash support or rate us wherever you heard this episode. And you can buy merchandise and support the show in other ways at gregariousmammal.com slash support. And finally, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash gregariousmammal. So thank you very much for listening and we will talk to you again soon. (laughs) 